Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down Swanfield and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you shawny man? Hello there, you're very welcome to the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast today. Owen McDevitt is here. Oh, why have I? This is the second time in a row I've done this. Owen McDevitt. Owen McDevitt is here. Third, accidentally talked about myself in the third person. <laughs> Kira Murphy and Ken Hardy are here. I'm Owen McDevitt. I like Hello the there, fact Owen. that it's accidental, Owen. It's, it's just so natural for you now. It's just, it's just instinct for you. Yeah, well, it's what I do. It. It's always a great fear, you know. Sometimes It's what Owen McDevitt does. It's what, you know, Owen McDevitt goes around in real life talking about himself in the third person. He tries not to bring that to air but it's just been slipping in the last couple of podcasts what can Oma ever do <laughs> I am serious though I mean if yeah. we are very close to you referring to yourself in the third person now even when you don't feel the need to introduce yourself as you do at the start of a podcast yeah. I mean if I catch you doing it in real life then we really will have problems what you- defines me Ryan Lochte <laughs> <laughs> you could have forget that was quick on the draw today Simon so Bit worried when he's this hot on the hockeys. Okay, you could have forgiven Daryl Horgan a few pre-match nerves on Tuesday night. Martin O'Neill was in attendance at Oriel Park amid a growing clamour for the best player in the league at the moment to be picked in the international squad. If he was nervous, he hit it pretty well. Although there's, maybe there's something about knocking a free kick in after six minutes that settles those nerves a little bit. Particularly enjoyed the second goal, though, as everybody did, I think. A driving run from just outside his own box. I know what you're going to say, Mur- Mur- Murph. Admittedly, the Cork defence allowed themselves to be driven mm. <laughs> they did backwards and backwards. One of their number did at least lunge in early on in the run. And after that, it was just, we'll just back off this really, really good player who's got a very good shot on him and just allow it. Oh, no, wait, it's at the edge of the box. Too late now. Slams it into the back of the net. The big question. Pretty goals, though. Yeah, really good. And M Malone is going to enjoy the driving run, Ken. Yeah, it was, um, I mean, it was a great game, actually. The, the whole thing was was pretty good. Um, it looked like a great... Um, Occasion, like, yeah, the atmosphere. Everything around on talk at the moment is just... Well, I know they had their slip-up against Sligo a few days ago, but... Yeah, I mean, the goal, he, he did he did go he did go past the man in his own half and then didn't have to beat another man. <laughs> uh, it was a bit like, uh, given people always compare him to Damien Duff, um, because he does have a superficial resemblance to Duff. Mm. Uh, in the, I don't know, it's something about the way he kind of holds his arm slightly out from his side or something. I'm not exactly sure what it is. Um, and he's got the same colour well, hair. Yeah, blonde hair and really skillful and is Irish. So he's right footed though. Yeah, there is like that. a mirror. Uh, but he <laughs> uh, Duff scored a goal against Canada in two thousand and three, which likewise he uh, 
he ran one end of the pitch to the other, but everyone was backing off. But why are they backing off, Owen? Why are they backing off? Fear, blind fear, Ken. Fear of pace. What if he does to me what he just did to that guy in front of me? Um, that would be bad. So, you know, what are the odds of him scoring from outside the box? Oh, probably probably a few of them looking accusingly at the goalkeeper. It seemed to go through his space a little bit. Still, though. Um, I think that Dial Organ looks a bit more like um, the son of James McLean and Steve Staunton than Damien Duff, though. <laughs> in his, uh, yeah. in his face. Yeah. He's got the the tufty, uh, white eyebrows of the true Gale. Well, it's funny you mentioned James McLean because forget about whether or not he's played at a high enough level and what he's going to offer defensively and all these other questions which maybe should be used to measure whether or not he should be in the, in the, in the international squad. I think the big question is, can he handle himself in the boxing ring? Irishboxing.com have footage of James McLean, current Irish winger slash attacker, doing a bit of sparring back in Derry at the Oakwell, Oakleaf Boxing Club. He's pretty impressive. And handle himself in the ring. Yeah. I don't know if anyone's surprised. There's uh, an uppercut in there that is ugh, vicious. Yeah. So that's what the the level that Daryl Horgan has to get to. I think we're going to talk to Emmett Malone of the Irish Times and Syria to access uh, to assess how realistic it is that Horgan could get a shot at international football while still playing in Ireland. The slot we did on Steve Bruce's brief career as a novelist just keeps on giving. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned that you, not me. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. Scumbag du jour is Dara O'Reilly. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, crime, novels, crime novels based around football is a subject title here. I don't know if any of you fellas have a member of their family who just won't take any recommendations or advice. You know, the cousin who just won't watch The Sopranos because everyone goes on about it. Or your auntie who will not eat effing pesto, all right? That's actually quite a niche one, I think. But anyway, he continues. He was, he's projecting there slightly. Yeah. Dara continues. I couldn't tell you how many times I've suggested to my little brother Seamus, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, Ken, that he should read the Pepe Carvalho crime novels by Manuel Vasquez Montalban or the Bernie Gunther Berlin noir novels by Philip Kerr. And you see, if he had, he'd know that one of the Pepe Carvalho series, El Delantero Centro Fui Asianado Al Atrasender. <laughs> I, think we should, I think we should do a Spanish language um, edition of this show, Owen, just to, just to get you to do that for a few more minutes. Translated into English as Offside is set in the world of football. And he might even know that Philip Kerr has a whole series of not-as-good crime novels set in the world of football called January Window, Hand of God and False Nine. They feature as their protagonist a crime-solving football manager called Steve... Br- no, it's Scott Manson. <laughs> and they are not good at all. Anyway, if Seamus had ever taken my advice, he wouldn't have gone on your show and said that he didn't know about any other crime novels set in the world of football and thereby brought shame on the family. Our po- poor dad is bereft, says Dara O'Reilly. I, I, I hereby revoke... The title of scumbag to Dara, considering he impressed so with his email. I know, he's still pretty no, much he's, a scumbag. Yeah, he sent on. an email in, we've read it out there for yeah, Secondcaptains at irishtimes.com is the email address. Let's report on some bloody sport again. Um, offside is an interesting translation of uh, uh, El Delantero Centro Fue Asesanado. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. You had a chance to stick it to McDevitt worse than we've ever had it. Worse than yeah. we've ever done. Uh, the striker was killed at dusk. Google Translate tells me. Um, not offside. 
Uh, Don't worry, I'm sure Seamus will be back in touch with us to take up Darren any factual errors in his email as this family feud continues on this podcast. Uh, Jonathan Wilson actually is a fan of those uh, uh, Berlin noir novels by Philip Kerr. Uh, he's always recommending them. Uh, so if anyone is interested, there's nothing about football in them uh, as far as I'm aware. I haven't actually read any of them yet. The last book that he recommended to me wasn't that good. <laughs> Sorry, the last book that Jonathan Wilson recommended? Yeah, it was. What was it? Uh, I was I was drawn in. I haven't actually finished the bloody thing. I was drawn in by uh, his description of um, God. I can't even remember the name of it now. My memory's completely shot. I've got it here. I've got it on my Kindle somewhere. Take He's, your time, Ken. Take your time. Take he, your time. It's a podcast. It can go on an indefinite amount of time. Uh, yeah, our speaking. listeners would really appreciate that. I'm sure. Uh, it was a he 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 lured me in by by saying. Um, yeah, there's this. It's it's kind of like a crime sort of detective or thriller type book, you know. Uh, Jonathan reads a lot of those types of books, and he was uh, he was saying, "Oh well, you know, it gets quite interesting." This this uh, character comes in who's a really thinly veiled uh, version of Boris Johnson. He's like this kind of you know. Uh, so I thought, oh, that sounds kind of interesting. I wouldn't mind uh, mind seeing what. You know, it's always it's always good to have a thinly veiled version of someone who you know is actually incredibly evil. <laughs> uh, I mean, have you ever read The Ghost by Robert Harris? No, uh, That's the Tony Blair one, isn't Tony it? Tony Blair, yeah. yeah. I so, mean, obviously not Tony Blair. I mean, obviously, it's just, not, yeah, of course, clearly, clearly obviously not, it's not Tony Blair. But. Clearly, it's not Tony Blair, but it clearly is Tony Blair. Well, uh, I mean, Robert Harris was a political uh, correspondent. I don't know if he still was at the time when Blair was. Kind of, I think he, I think he kind of was covering Blair a bit because he'd already kind of, I think, had a couple of successful books at that stage. Like, he's the guy who did Fatherland, which people might have seen, a few other books. But uh, <laughs> I think he, he did get to see a good bit of Blair. I think he was a believer at the start and then became disillusioned. And it's like uh, Primary Colors by Anonymous, who later turned out to be what was his name, Joe Klein? Was Joe Klein from Newsweek. Yeah. And, that was and that's B- a Bill pretty Clinton. amazing book and a pretty amazing film. Um, but yeah, the, the 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 Blair character, yeah. I mean, there's some really horrible details in there. Just not when I say horrible, I don't mean you know. Oh my god, I can't believe, uh, I can't believe that you know he was involved in these serious crimes. Or just details about his his kind of ignorance about basic things about the world. You know, there's a there's a bit in that book where the Blair character says, oh. Um, you know, he he's like sitting in some study, like leafing through some of the books that are there. You know, he's kind of killing time. He goes, it says here that uh, that uh, Germany actually declared war on the United States in 1941, and like not the other way around. And the guy's like, well, yeah, I mean that's what happened. And he's like, oh, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? You know, so it's just like the idea of this guy just being completely ignorant of basic sort of history was um, anyway. We've got sidetracked. Yeah, that's what it's we all about. We still don't know what, what could... terrible book Jonathan Wilson... Oh, I can't, I can't remember. Okay, forget it? about uh, it. Let's, let's, let's leave that one. Ken is, Ken is unrecommending it anyway, so we probably don't need the title. Um, uh, Maybe yeah. there'd be an avalanche of disgruntled readers who, can, who we could all uh, include Jonathan Wilson in your tweets <laughs> to us, telling us how terrible the book was, at John Wills. No, no, come on, this is... Oh. All right, where are we now? I'll, I'll, I'll find that. We'll find that and we'll... We'll we'll bring it to you, um, but where are we now? Let's see. Graham Lasso was. Uh, oh, Graham Lasso, actually, yeah. Well, well, Graham Lasso 
There's a few kind of uh, things happening at the moment, sort of the, the relationship between the political world and the sporting world. Um, they're hitting each other. And they're, they're not, they're not uh, completely separate worlds, it turns out. Donald Trump's saying about locker room talk. This was locker room talk. Uh, when referring to his seriously creepy uh, tape, uh, which he said not in a locker room, but when he was, you know, appearing on, he was going to appear on the soap Days of Our Lives, right? Um, he wasn't in a locker room when he said it. But but a lot of athletes in America have been saying, oh, we don't talk like that in a locker room. What are you talking about? Graham Lesseau, a man who knows a thing or two about uh, locker room talk, uh, having been, as a result of his reading of The Guardian and having gone on a camping holiday with Ken Moncow, uh, having been essentially taunted uh, for being gay for much of his career. Uh, All right, Puff was how uh, one, uh, <laughs> one member of staff, and I think Chelsea referred to the show every day when he turned up. Uh, the, the camping holiday with Ken Munkow was always considered to be very funny by everybody at Chelsea. So uh, what are you doing on what are you doing for holidays this summer, Graham? Probably going camping with Ken again, are you? That sort of thing. So he knows he's he's been at the sharp end of of what Trump might call locker room talk, and says that uh, this, in fact, was a level beyond anything he'd seen. Um, and he wrote he wrote a piece in the Guardian. He says that doesn't. Um, he says um, this is where the bragging comes in. People project a persona to protect their, uh, protect their image and vulnerabilities. Why did Trump say what he said? He was trying to impress Billy Bush. Why did Billy Bush not say anything to his cousin, Jeb Bush, about this? He could have... Things could have worked out a lot better for Jeb if uh, if his cousin had mentioned... Uh, well, maybe Billy didn't necessarily want this out there either, Ken. You know, he was. Would just, it have been he, worth it, though? He was just playing along, as he says. I think it would someone have been. Say, someone I think say it would have been worth the it. Thing, but. I think it would. Have, I think he would have earned a lot of forgiveness points for coming forward with it. Uh, actually, he would have been ahead of the news cycle. Look, I'm really sorry. I played my part in this terrible thing. It's... I just think America needs to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've never, I've never known the level of conversation says Graham so to descend to the level of what Trump said. Derogatory comments are made; they're not acceptable. But I've never heard women spoken about in such a predatory way. People would have objected loudly um so uh yeah forget that it's uh you know that's that's just not the way people talk um says a man who's heard a lot of we don't know what things uh, in all male environments yeah we don't know what tom brady has met of it all though well he's he endorsed asked about it yesterday yeah he's a good friend long-standing friend of donald trump he was asked about it at his press conference and uh uh he just stared blankly at the press conference and then said I hope all of you people have a very nice day. I walked off. <laughs> <laughs> so he hasn't endorsed. What courage? He hasn't endorsed Trump. Uh, well, no, he, he he stopped short of endorsing Trump, but he did have a uh, Make America Great Again uh, cap in his locker last year. Last year? Yeah. When everything, when it was still... Yeah, when, when we all he thought... He was still fresh. Was, yeah. <laughs> Great guy. Um, so what else is happening? You, you may have noticed, though, in the, the historical stories about... Um, Marmite being taken away from the people of the UK, or at least those who shop at Tesco. Oh, I've heard you talking about it in the office. Um, yeah, there's a dispute at the moment between Tesco and Unilever. Unilever, who 
you kind of maybe think of as being uh, the washing powder folks, but actually control a huge number of familiar uh, brands, food brands and uh, whatnot. And uh, they're having a row at Tesco at the moment, which will, which will apparently, unless they get it sorted, which I think they might, result in the withdrawal of all, the, all of these well-known and beloved brands, such as Marmite and uh, Coleman's English Mustard and no. so on. Yeah, Coleman's English Mustard taken away from Tesco shelves by the plummeting pound. Uh, you have something about Unilever wanting to get the same amount of money as they were getting before, but the the... The sterling now collapsing to the level of like a banana republic's boatload of growths, <laughs> and uh, it's it's now one ten to the euro. So this is obviously a worrying situation then for English football. This devaluation, just when they were everyone was getting so triumphalist about the uh, TV deal, what if those what if that that five billion uh, pound TV deal was actually denominated in a kind of peseta like currency? <laughs> you know, not that it's going to go to that level but it is like you're talking about shaving a good 20 percent off the value of it regarding as regards how the league trades with outside it doesn't really affect what happens within the league but um in terms of how the league uh, you know if you're buying a player from a eurozone country which is where most of them most of the good ones are um it's going to cost a lot and all and we were talking the other week about the kind of um effect of this on uh, wage demands. Um, Alexis Sanchez and Mesut Ozil's agents uh, citing it as a reason why their clients needed to be paid. Citing a 17% drop in the value of the currency as a reason why they should get a 34% increase in the new wage. <laughs> I suppose just to insulate against future fluctuations. Um, but these things are happening. Meanwhile, uh, there's a good interview today in the Times by Oliver Kay with Scott McGarvey. Scott McGarvey, the unfortunate agent who unwittingly engineered the demise of Sam Allardyce. Demise mm. of Sam Allardyce. Did I say demise? Demise. Allardyce demise. Um, the demise of Big Sam. Uh, it's a good interview. Uh, I mean, you do feel you feel a bit sorry for this guy. He was stitched up, yes. Uh, but he was kind of, it was such an easy thing for them to do in a way. I mean, when you read when you read it from his account, the kind of old gill desperation that oozes from this man's every pore. Um, you know, um, he, you know Sam, Sam doesn't know how much money I've got, uh, but he certainly knew I didn't have much money. He'd seen the difference in me from the days when I used to turn up at meetings in a Range Rover or a Jaguar. He knew it had been tough for me, and this was going to put me back on track in a big way. He was pleased to help me out. Um, so basically, uh, he thought that this was all real. Obviously, he says this, this is, was you know hundreds of emails, hundreds of text, phone calls. So he was the he was the point man, as as they say. He was a guy. He was the guy. Uh, being contacted and then on behalf of Allardyce going to Allardyce with this. Yeah, he he was the guy. He was the guy basically who they contacted and uh, suggest. Well, here, here's his, here's his uh, thing. It was a lady called Claire who said she was working for a new football agency and my name had come up with someone they should speak to. She said they were called Meran Sports and they were owned by the Bakri Group. The Bakri Group is real, by the way. It's a huge company in Indonesia. And could we possibly meet? So I went to meet them on July first. Met this Claire Taylor 
who was the Telegraph's investigations editor, unbeknownst to uh, Scott McGarvey. We had a conversation about what help I could give them. I said, it depends what you want. They talked about different things. They mentioned third-party ownership and dot, dot, dot. At this point, McGarvey's solicitor, who's in the interview with them, says, oh, no, no, we're not going to talk about what, what was said on that phone call. That's, uh, that's something we can't talk about at this time. We spoke for about an hour. McGarvey says, you can imagine I'm talking myself up. They were very complimentary of me. They asked if we could speak again. I said, yes, no problem. There was no job offer, but it was a bit of hope. So Allardyce at that stage is still the manager of Sunderland. Mm. Um, and they'd asked me to get involved with clubs and managers. I said, well, you've got a vehicle. Because I, they said they had this company in Asia that was always looking for motivational speakers. I mentioned Sam and a few others. I said, Sam would be great for you. He's the manager of Sunderland. End of the season, he would go out. The woman says, that would be fantastic. Um, so... Obviously, how did I end up having two meetings with them? How did this happen? Oliver Kay is asking. Well, this isn't me meeting someone on the Monday, then setting things up for Sam to meet them on Thursday. McGarvey says, this is drawn out over 13 weeks. All those calls, emails, messages. I've met with different people, supposedly from the group. As time goes on, they offer me 218 grand a year, a Range Rover, a company credit card. This is big time for me. I am desperate for this to happen. Uh, somewhere in this period, I've called up Sam. I tell him about the job I'm in for. Yeah, uh, I asked if he might be willing to meet them because I'm desperate to impress them. By this time, he's England manager. He says he can't get involved in an agency. I say, they're just after someone to do some speaking. Would you be interested? Would you go and meet them? His exact words were, would it help you? It definitely would, Sam. He said, well, if it helps you, I'll talk to them. And Sam has only come to that meeting for me 100%. He walked through the hotel. Everyone wanted to say hello and shake his hand. He sat down, and we all got talking. Um... You know, so so the other thing was, uh, so the the head of the agency is coming in for a meeting. Sam says, "This guy's de- or Scott McGarvey says, this guy's desperate to meet you." Sam, Sam's joking like, uh, "Effing hell, Scott! Don't you know I'm busy?" I said, "I know you are, but if you can, it would be brilliant." He said, "Don't worry, I'll be there." So they go to Wings, Libby Van Hal's favorite restaurant. Apparently, Allardyce, according to Scott McGarvey, after the meeting, this is the one you've seen the video of, of Sam lounging back and you know, sounding sounding forth. He says, um, he recalls that Allardyce cast doubts about Mike. Mike supposedly was the head of the agency, saying he had neither dressed nor acted like a wealthy or powerful man. Right. I wonder what, uh, I mean, it's hard, we're missing two pieces of information. One is how he dressed and how he was dressed and how he acted. And the other is what does Sam Allardyce consider to be mm. power behavior. And power Clothing as well. Power clothing. Yeah. Like, is it is it the case that maybe did, 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 people did, just wear suits? To these but things. did this guy dress up too well? You know, is is it has it got to the point now that the really powerful people you never see Roman Bramovich too dressed up? No, he he, he I've never seen him. I've never seen Bramovich in a suit. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. So, and I think a lot of maybe people have maybe his at ilk. the Champions League final or something he yeah. might do it. A lot of people his ilk seem to sort of dress down, dress down to dress up. So maybe if you go in with too sharp a suit now, it's like, whoa, look at this guy. He's not, he's a chancer. The more slobbish, the more pa- Like Pablo Escobar. <laughs> yeah. like just, just Bermuda shorts, a Hawaiian shirt, yeah. gut maybe sticking a, out underneath that, t-shirt. That big jumper with like an anchor on it or something like that, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's maybe this guy was just wearing a suit. Uh, failed to impress uh, Sam. But, you know, the... Although alarm bells didn't exactly ring too loudly if Well, it was, it's all it's all it afterwards, go. you know, and yeah. maybe, you know, and maybe... You know, we only have Scott McGarvey's word for it anyway. What was the other thing that he, he, he then described, or he described at the beginning how it actually happened, you know, how he found out that he'd been, he'd been had. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did not hear back from the woman at Meran on the Saturday. He tried her again on his way to Manchester uh, Maccabi, the Sunday team. He manages no answer. 
He tried the London office number you've been given. Hello? Hello, is that Maron Sports? Uh, oh, yes, it's, it's Maron Sports. Can I help? Uh, no, don't worry about it. Suddenly, McGarvey had a feeling something's not right here. Later that day, he took a call from withheld number. A guy calls up. This is a sun, This is uh, uh, on the sun, uh, Sunday. The, remember, the whole thing came out on Monday kind of evening. That's when that was published. It says, a guy calls up telling me he's here from the Telegraph. So the guy calls up telling me he's from the Telegraph. I assume it's a Jewish Telegraph about Maccabi's match that morning. Instead, this guy tells me the people I've been speaking to were undercover journalists from the Daily Telegraph. I've been conned. The moment he says it, I felt so sick. I can't believe it. My head's spinning. My stomach is churning. I want to jump down the phone. And, well, I start calling him every name under the sun. I got to tell my wife everything I've been working on since the end of June, all the plans we've been making, none of it's real. I feel physically sick. He didn't actually expect Allardyce to lose his job. So mentions that he was going to call Allardyce. Imagine, like, oh, God, how am I going to make this call? What am I going to say to Allardyce? This is horrible. Oh, it's grim. This whole story. He was about to call him on the morning of Monday, September 26th, when Allardyce beat him to it. I answer it, the Scott says. Before I can say anything, he says, Scott, it's a stitch-up, mate. I say, I know. I'm with my lawyers now. I'm so sorry. He says, you're all right. I hope you can sort it out. Oh, dear. You know, Scott, lad. Oh, dear. Uh, did Allardyce realize this spelled trouble for him? Overcases. No, McGarvey says, I don't think he was even concerned about himself. Basically, Allardyce was like, oh, no, you know, too bad for you. The tone of that sounds like that's how Allardyce is feeling at the time, all right, yeah? It kills me. Uh, it's the worst feeling in the world. I've got my own situation, but the real travesty is Sam. If he'd lost his job at Crewe, I'd be good for him, but he's lost a job at England manager, the job he built himself up for. For Sam to lose that job because of this, honestly, it kills me. It kills me. Yeah, Oof. it is a joke, as he, as he says. But uh, That's a fairly good piece by uh, Oliver Kay. Right into, uh, interview. Um, uh, and there is more of it. No, we haven't mentioned all of it, but I guess we move on to the, the current England manager is Gareth Southgate, and it looks like he'll be the future England manager. Why? I'm not sure. I think people want Malta 2 0 draw, nil all the way to Slovenia. He dropped Rooney again. Oh, yeah. That's all he had to do. Make your statement. Show him who's boss. Get the job. Do the thing that all the newspapers are saying you should do. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Taylor had a story about the meeting or a, a pre Euros dinner with Hodgson and the football writers. You know, kind of a. Did they a, do that? Yeah, of course, yeah. An informal pre-Euros... Not a, not a dinner. It's not like Imagine Martin O'Neill sitting around with too many of the Irish journals. Oh, well, he's done... He, Martin O'Neill's done a few sit-downs, I think. Not necessarily... I mean, I've never been... Are you just talking about... Oh, sorry, are you talking about informal, like, have a dinner with them, as opposed to a, sort of a talk of some... Of Everyone some goes along... Not, no, Jesus, not a, not a keynote speech or motivational speaking. Yeah. Jesus. No. Uh, everyone, like, goes along for lunch, have a chat with the manager, just see how everyone gets to know everyone's thoughts. And apparently... Uh, uh, Hodgson at some point the, the Rooney thing came up and loves them were saying oh Rooney come on Roy seriously and uh, he was like alright right, right, write down your I want you all to write down your teams all write down your England 11s we'll have a look at them everyone got theirs written everyone oh, I would have thought you'd, you'd uh, I would have thought you'd know your first 11 automatically off the top of your head it looks like some of you are chewing your pens there you know what's, the, what's taking oh you've all got it okay let's gather them up gather them up so apparently there's like 15 pieces of paper how many of them had Rooney in the team? Three. Eight. Six. Six. And nine 
no. Hodgson's kind of looking at it. Hodgson was surprised, you know, he's like, oh. Folded them up and said, well, we'll keep those. <laughs> we, might we might revisit those at some, some later stage. But, you know, it, it wasn't, it's not as though dropping Rooney at this stage is a difficult decision. It's an obvious one. It's, kind of, it's the one that you're being exhorted to do by everybody. Even Rooney seemed to be aware. You know, Rooney was happy to do, uh, apparently asked to do that press conference. Colleen Rooney was on Twitter, you know, d defending, uh, defending Wayne, saying, you know, why does everyone have to have an opinion on this? You know, why can't you just... And people were saying, basically it comes down to, oh yeah, you know, why don't you shut up? Yeah, look at all the money you've got and you can't take a bit of, you can't take a bit of stick. Oh, you'll take the millions of pounds, but you, you won't take the criticism when it comes your way. And she's like, we don't think about money. We never think about money. You know what I mean? Yeah. Only people who've got a lot of money never think about money. <laughs> but, but you know. Well, they might, they might have three and a half million less pretty soon or whatever it is that the. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's just, uh, it never rains for the poor. It's like, yeah. but you know. With Rooney was was being booed. Brian Robson, I saw the other day, was saying um, Rooney will get more respect than this at Manchester United. Manchester United fans respect what he's done, and actually, being booed by England fans is the best thing that could happen to Rooney in terms of how the Man United fans feel about him. Because I think loads of them had had already turned against him. They were the first to turn against him. I mean, when when he when he was still you know playing well, when he was still an important player. He turned them against him by demanding transfers, by wanting to join Manchester City. You know, by, he, he put out a, a statement saying he wanted to move and the club wasn't showing enough ambition. Uh, and, you know, Ferguson had sorted it out within a couple of days, but it affected their relationship clearly. And it affected his relationship with the supporters. Then he was supposed to be wanting to leave again in 2013. You know, he, so this has happened a couple of times. And I think a lot of them... You know, it's it's it's. There's not a lot of sentimentality in their attitudes. But they it. might rally around him a little bit now. The, there's nothing that that Manchester United fans love more than to support a player who's been spurned, disrespected by England or indeed any national team. I mean, did they have there? There was a banner up there for a while, you know, talking about was it Cantona, Beckham, Keane? That's they're they're heroes who had been abused, <laughs> abused by um, the international teams that they were once part of. Um, so this this could be the green shoots of recovery for for Winry. It, it can't really get too much worse. I mean, well, drop from both your teams, yeah. and yeah, and, and three and a half million to revenue allegedly. Southgate, they I kind of cut you off earlier there. Southgate looks like he's going to be kept on. Is that the point? Well, apparently uh, the the FA are, are are impressed with what he's done so far. I only have to, you know I haven't been covering England's games. This is what the football writers have been saying you know someone has told them well we're, we're impressed with gareth i mean they might as well give it to gareth Southgate. like who else are they going to get they just had a process which ended up appointing sam allardyce you know yeah but again it's, it's not like the field has changed a lot not in that. england no but uh, there are other countries can england is only a part of the world yeah it's not the whole world but who i mean they might as well appoint a you know unproven english managers and unproven foreign manager but they could hire a proven foreign manager like who Giovanni Diego Simeone uh, Tuchel Diego Simeone Tuchel this seems like the perfect job for Tuchel that is the present uh, how his career is going now England is the next obvious step I, I believe yeah well for, you uh, know 
See, managers, stressed out managers like Simeone, right? I'm just, sorry, I, I don't know what goes on inside that man's head. I, but he strikes me as a guy who feels the game, he lives the game, and he might need a break at some stage, like Pep Guardiola. Why bother going over to New York and not get paid like Pep did for a year? Why not take the England job for two years? Well, get so paid treat, loads to do very little. Treat the England job like Trap treated exactly. the Ireland job. And then, well, come, and then like come back completely and, just don't care about it. And then it's hack your club career yeah. after those two years. But Simeone has actually said that he wishes he could be an international manager now. While he is managing at Letico. Well, they, oh, okay. He wants to manage. <laughs> he 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 wants to manage all the time. A day that he doesn't manage is a wasted day, you know. Uh, so he's managing at Letico, obviously with at maximum intensity. Uh, uh, but then they all go off international week, and he's left with like three guys, and he's saying this is a complete waste of time. Why can't I manage? Why am I managing Argentina as well? I should be managing Argentina. Klopp should be managing Germany, you know. Guardiola should be managing. Maybe not that. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's like uh, he 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 has actually said. I mean, it's it's it sounds insane. I mean, it's beyond anyone's realistic capacity to work that much. You would have thought, but maybe not in the case of Simeone. Um, I don't know if he's the ideal fit for England. However, that's it for Kennedy's report on sport. Baby, don't hurt me. I've lost it. The first minister's name, Kieran Murphy, our second captain, and John Henderson, former Kenny and Wicker Hurdler. Thank you both indeed for that. Uh, that's our lot for today. Just one headline: the British Prime Minister Theresa May is to meet the Taoiseach and the Kenny in London tomorrow. This morning, she's at Stormont meeting Martin McGuinness and uh, also Theresa. Sorry, I've lost it. The first minister's name, Arlene Foster. Arlene Foster. Thank you for that. After all their recent European heroics and Doc took care of some domestic housekeeping this week, a 2-1 win over their title rivals Cork leaves them four points clear, so an inside of another league title. And with many people now jumping right on board the Daryl Horgan for Ireland <laughs> bandwagon. Emma Malone, are you on board? Uh, yeah, I am. I'd like to see him get there eventually. I'm I'm not so convinced that it's going to happen, you know, quite as soon as some of my colleagues have, have been saying. Uh, it was great to see O'Neill at the game the other night to, to take a closer look at him. I'd, I'd like to see him get the, the chance in the squad. I don't think if he'd called, got called into the squad for the recent two games that he would have really, you know, featured in terms of had any chance in, in terms of featuring in the team. So I guess from that point of view, it's a question of, you know, bringing him in and have a, having a look at how he copes with, you know, the other players, where he fits in, whether he can, you know, make that step up, get more of a sense of it. Um, and that's that's a longer term thing, I think. I think I could understand O'Neill's reasoning for saying that, you know, uh, he didn't want to take him out of uh, Dundalk's kind of um, busy schedule. Is that is that genuine? Because he said that. Well, I don't know whether it's genuine. A couple of weeks ago. Well, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I suppose our, our best guess whether yeah. or not that's the case, because some people just see that as an easy enough way to bat off a question that, that could be a little sure. bit irritating if it didn't work. Or just a way of letting someone down gently. Yeah, O'Neill is, is, is a master of batting away uh, questions with kind of the sort of fairly easy lines that are difficult to disprove. I think there's a logic to what he was saying. I, I You know, I just don't think that that, that uh, Horkin was going to go into that squad and feature in any way in, in, in the qualifying games this stage. Um, and so, you know, is it is the timing right to bring him into the squad when, when Dundalk clearly has so much on, when his own career is... P- Potentially at a, you know a really key juncture. I think it, I, I I think there was a logic to leaving it at, at the moment. You know we'll see how sincere he is over the period of time. He's gone to see him the other night, uh, which I think is good. Um, I think 
you know, the fact here is he's brought in uh, Gary Rogers again. Rogers, you know, would have you know would have taken a couple of people falling under a bus probably for for Rogers to actually end up playing. But the fact is, he's brought him in. He's looked at him. He seems to have reacted well to him. Uh, ironically, it doesn't seem to have done Rogers very much good because he's lost his place in the Dundalk team. Um, but you know, there we are. I, I you know, I think Horgan is is absolutely going in the right direction, and I certainly hope hope to see him over the over the coming months or year or whatever it is uh, wearing Ireland shirt. What would be the negatives of, of bringing him into the squad at this point? Well, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any downside from O'Neill's point of view. That's why I I, I like to think what he was saying about kind of you know you know interrupting um, uh, Dundalk season was true. He was saying that that it was all down to the the kind of backlog of games they had. They're they're playing every three, sometimes two days, um, and so the chances are he would have missed a couple of games. And I and I, I think in that sort of sense, it makes some se- it makes some sort of sense from O'Neill's point of view not to interfere with uh, with his with the flow of games for Dundalk. If he doesn't think he's going to do more than take take a look at him, I, you know, from O'Neill's point of view, long term, I think there is a logic to bringing him into the squad, having a look at him. It's just the timing. I, I think you know, I, I'm taking him at face value, but I do think there is a logic to to what he's saying that he's essentially he's doing it out of respect for uh, for Stephen Kenny and Dundalk, despite the fact that I think both Stephen Kenny and Daryl Horgan kind of went, uh, you know, both said that they'd have they'd, they'd have quite fancied him getting the call up. He said he didn't think he even had that good game the other night. Horgan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, the the two goals are standout uh, moments. The free, he's a little bit lucky with, and Mark McNulty's a little bit unlucky with in that he's, you know, it comes off him. It's essentially an own goal, but the free kick is still a very fine free kick. Uh, the second goal is a terrific goal. Really, really great. And, and says lots of positive things about him. He picks up the ball just outside his own area. Uh, Greg Bulger makes a fairly kind of half-arsed attempt to, to take him out or maybe it was a tackle, I'm not sure, but certainly another player you know, might well have settled for going down, mm. getting Bulger um, uh, okay. booked, which would have been an important moment in the game, and, uh, and relieving all the pressure on Dundalk. But he doesn't, he rides the tackle, he goes forward, there's good runs made here to the side of him, and, uh, and, and he finishes it with, with a great free game. It's a really, really cracking uh, uh, um, uh, attacking midfielder's uh, goal. A really, really great stuff. That aside, I mean, you know, set pieces would be a thing for him. And yet, like, I mean, it, you know, he, he missed a few of them, couple over the bar, one possibly cleared Drogheda, uh, you know, so he, he, wasn't, he wasn't, you know, ideal from that point of view. Uh, I think he I think he was the one, I, I think, I had it wrong in the match report uh, since uh, without, look, without at, that chan- at that stage having a chance to look back on it. I think it's him that gets caught by Stephen Beatty going down the right for the Cork goal. Yeah, that was the only issue. I would have thought... Yeah, uh, and he, gets, he gets caught by Beatty in the first half yeah, well, uh, beat, it's, beat it's just well. the kind of thing where if you're a manager and you're maybe you know you, I'm sure you have a predisposed notion towards League yeah. of Ireland that then the level that you're playing at that's the kind of thing that a manager might just it might just be enough to if there are if there are any seeds of yeah. Daniel O'Neill's mind to keep him in. That's a bit unfair to a guy who's just scored two wonder goals in the same game. No, absolutely. But he is going to have to add to to his game, I think, to to really kind of make it at the top level. Um, you see, I mean, the, you know, there are, the, the 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 context here is the League of Ireland, and you know, I love the League of Ireland, and and I, and we're seeing it at its best at the moment. And the game the other night was a tremendous example of it. But the reality is that he's playing against some you know more average players a lot of the time. Uh, we saw him and, and defensively. He he does need to be improved, and to, to do that, he needs to be tested. I think we've seen really, you know, positive signs from him in Europe uh, so far, and the two seasons that he's played for Dundalk in Europe, he's done, I think, really, really well. Um, at the last two seasons, um, in the in the Europa League at the moment, he's two assists and a, a, a and a handful of chances in, in games. 
probably should have scored himself against Maccabi Tel Aviv and Tala had a really good chance had he shot either side of the goalkeeper it's a goal but I do think that defensive side of his game is a concern he got sent off a couple of months back in Bray where he spent some of the night um, you know trying to help out on, on, on handling Ryan Connolly and it didn't go entirely well for him Stephen Kenny claimed that night he was harshly done by I'm not so sure um, but look these are all things that um, that, that he's improving on I, I think he's be- a better player last year or this year than he was last year I think he'll continue to improve and if he does move to England which does seem to be you know the logical next step for him then then you know we'll we'll see how well he 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 copes with that stand up but he he shows every sign of 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 having the ability to 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 move on up in another gear or two why hasn't that move to England come off yet i know he's been to yeah. few clubs on trial and training this kind sure. of sure yeah i'm not entirely sure to be honest i mean he has gone there on on, on three well, three trials to Torquay Barnsley Peterborough, Peterborough maybe yeah year, yeah yeah and uh, and he hasn't been signed by any of them Peterborough would have seen that you know uh, Chris Forrester's gone over to, there and done exceptionally well and i think that will have a a, a bearing on their thinking in terms of the league and players ma- making that transition. Um, I'm not quite sure why he hasn't uh, done that. I, I, you know, I, I do think it's one of the interesting. I really wanted to see how he coped again in Europe this year, and um, and I've been really impressed by him. He, you know, the, the, again, uh, the issue of him playing against. Um, you know, lesser players. I mean, he's, he's, he plays against Maccabee, he's playing against, you know, for the most part, I- international players. Uh, we'll see how he does against uh, Zenit St. Petersburg. Well, yeah, Zenit's a big one because yeah. uh, doesn't Axel Witzel play for Zenit St. Yeah. Petersburg? Like, this is a guy who destroyed Ireland at the European Championships. Sure. Yeah, if yeah. he can hold his own against that kind of opposition, then surely you're, you're thinking, well, you know. Well, that's uh, it. I mean, the signs so far against AZ and, and, and particularly Maccabee are that he can, he can you know, put it up to, uh, to, 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 to high level players yeah. um, against. Maccabee they were doubling up on him he was still slipping between players he still has I think one of the things about him at the right now as well is that he has just this tremendous confidence you see him you know even in those European games trying things that in the past with, with, with Irish clubs in Europe there's always been this kind of essential acceptance that the you know amongst the, the players and the manager that the Irish club is inferior once they're playing sort of decent opposition from abroad and so the, the plan no matter how good they are at home no matter how dominant they are in games here they switch mode completely they go into the game Mentally and physically on the back foot, they uh, they accept that they're going to be dominated for you know seventy five minutes and the the game plan. I could just you know I couldn't count how many times I've sat in pre match press conferences where you have a League of Ireland manager saying you know we're going to keep it tight for seventy five minutes and then you never know what might happen. Uh, whereas Dun- this Dundalk team has gone in with far more positive mindset. Um, they've looked to take the game to to sides. Haven't always looked the best side. You know, in, in several cases they've looked slightly the worst side but it is only slightly they're operating on the same level and against Maccabee for instance I mean Maccabee I think had more possession um, but Dundalk created all the chances and Horgan is key to a lot of them Horgan is you see it in him he's he's happy to run at players to take them on to beat them he you know he has he, he's a threat the whole time and because he has that confidence I think you know defenders sense that in him and they're afraid of him which is which is you know a territory we haven't been in very often with Irish players in Europe How much of that changed attitude has to do with Fitness, you think? I mean, the uh, we were talking about the Dundalk uh, fitness coach Graham Byrne, yeah, um, who has been there for I think nearly three years, yeah, and uh, 
sounds as though he's kind of turned things around there. Well, I, he certainly helped them. And, you know, again, I mean, we talk about this kind of mentality of, of acceptance of, 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 of various things. And one of the things that seemed to be accepted, you know, in the game generally, but at Dundalk to some extent, was the fact that if you play with a, with a, with a, with a uh, plastic pitch, then you're going to have injuries, you know. And Graham Byrne has certainly dismissed that. The evidence at, you know, top level suggests that it's simply not true once you're playing on any sort of decent uh, standard of pitch. Um, and Graham Byrne has gone up there and their injury situation has been exceptional they they you know they don't have many injuries um their their fitness in terms of the number of points delivered with late goals um has been exceptional i mean he he would appear to have done a really terrific job there but you know i was i was in a post match uh thing with uh, stephen kenny there a, a couple of months back and he was talking about whether players uh, i th- oh, was it Kieran Kilduff or um I, I i'm not sure one of the one of the other strikers maybe whether he could was fit for the game and and uh, Kenny just talked about the medical team and how he was asked did he did he did he trust the players and did he trust them when they're talking about their bodies and he's kind of like almost laughing at the idea you know and saying no I trust my medical team you know mm. and uh, but the player knows best that's what you always hear yeah not, not for Steve, not for Stephen Kenny you know uh, you know he, he talks about you know kind of appointing the people that he believes in and then trusting them to do their job and I think we've seen that with Byrne too you yeah. know and we've seen him deliver for them I mean because it, it does it does strike you that if if there ever was to be kind of long-term turning around of that attitude, you know, for it not just to be a kind of exceptional Dundalk team who've yeah. managed to get into the right frame of mind for, you know, European competition. This is actually the way, this is a front on which any club can compete. Yeah. You know, like, you can't compete on in terms of talent. I mean, there's only one Lionel Messi, you know, it's, yeah. there, there's a tiny group of really Absolutely. exceptional players. Absolutely, but, yeah. but any uh, team anywhere in Europe has access to, the, you know, the best uh, best practice, or at least pretty close to the best current, you know, state of the art practice in terms of um, training and yeah. fitness. Yeah, I, I look. I absolutely agree with that. I, I think that one of the things that you know, there's, there's all sorts of handicaps that the the league here suffers from, financial and infrastructural being the two most obvious ones. I, I think that you know, over the last few years, we've seen you know after the, the, the crash was a disastrous period here because the the, the league clubs were in many cases, Dundalk included, um, dependent financially on people, business people whose business was very close tied to the boom and did very well out of it and when when things went belly up you know they they they, they pulled in their their, their support so it was a, a real crash a really like you know guys losing 90, yeah guys losing 90% of their income overnight you know and a huge challenge for managers to keep players motivated and that and to keep doing the right thing but there are also very very simple things that clubs here have been guilty of not doing now it, you know it's difficult to motivate your medical staff as well when they're not being paid and there have been countless examples within the league of you know people service providers of all sorts of, uh, of types including medical services and not getting the money they were due but you know there are things you can do right here and if you treat people right and you hire the best people then there's no reason whatsoever that, that the clubs in this league uh, shouldn't compete I mean if you look at Dundalk where they come from over the last three years they're, 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 they were virtually bankrupt they were on you know on the verge of relegation um, they had you know their squad was falling apart Kenny's come in he's he, he obviously is celebrated and rightly so for the players that he's he's, he's uh, He's recruited some of whom were prominent. Horgan is a good example, doing very well at Cork City. They were sorry to leave him. They would have wanted to uh, to, to lose him. They would have wanted to keep him, and uh, and he was seen as a very good signing. But a lot of the players that Kenny brought in, very much more under the radar guys who wouldn't have been particularly standout players at, at lesser clubs. And he's he's brought them in, molded them into a great team. But behind the scenes as well, he's done stuff that you know 
Dundalk had nothing to envy from the point What's, of view of training when facilities. You, when or you say that, and he's assembled all of that about the players. When you say when you say it about bringing players sort of under the radar players, how is he finding them? I mean, what's the What's the mechanism there? Well, he seems to have... I mean, they're they're playing for the most part in the League of Ireland, but they're playing at clubs like UCD or Bray or, you know, um, and, and, and he's seen something in them earlier than other clubs. I mean, UCD has been, you know, a tremendous uh, um, school um, uh, for, for League of Ireland players uh, and they've been dispersed and there are a great many of them spread across the league, but there's half a dozen of them in this in, in this Dundalk team and some of them um, he has taken, com- you know, directly from that... Um, uh, from that club and, and thrown into a side that's aspiring to much, much greater things. But he's had the faith in them. He's, he's, he's had the belief in them. He's thrown them in and almost without exception they've delivered for him. All right. And it sounds like you're just about on the bandwagon, the Horgan <laughs> Farden bandwagon. But you're not, you're, not, you're not quite driving the thing at the front but you're clinging on there somewhere. Listen, great to talk to you. <laughs> thanks. Cheers, thanks. See you dug out this open mother of you. You're a wee mate. Your bags in your desk. Boom. Your bags in your desk. Boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got my Terry Butcher in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got a job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beep, I take no beep, I take no, I take no, I take no beep. Just so what's up, don't try to get some beep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight, you don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans, just need to fucking work on it. You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grab! You got an email actually on the UCD contingent, former UCD contingent at Dundalk from Eamon Martin a little while ago, a lifelong lifelong Dundalk fan who mentioned that you may be aware of this already, but Robbie Benson got 600 points in his leaving cert. That's a whole lot of points. Studied at UCD for his bachelor's degree while playing. Dundalk wanted to sign him, but he wouldn't sign until he achieved his master's degree in actuarial science. So uh, there you go. Kilduff, Finn and McMillan also played for UCD. I think we've got I think we've got a little slot here for another scumbag son. I've got a call here that says you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned not you, no me. Okay, ain't nobody fing with my click. Click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. This scum is emailing from another country. It's Jerry Dearall. My name is Jerry and I am from India. I'm a big fan of the Spanish League, but Second Captain's podcast keeps me updated about the Premier League. One of the things I eagerly wait every week is the football podcast. You guys are absolutely brilliant. Owen, I like the way he giggles. Always brings a smile on my face. <coughs> Ken, his voice is very similar to Mr. Gilbert from The Inbetweeners and his analysis is often spot on. Kieran, I love Gilbert? his... Is that the teacher? Yeah, yeah. freakishly tall. Kieran, I love his anecdotes and one-liners. Uh, he goes on what I like about the podcast is that I can always expect honest reviews if a player is okay he says some nice things here people are uncomfortable he does insult us as well by telling us that uh, we should be doing more La Liga stuff so that's just I'm going to gloss over that last paragraph because it's mostly compliments and then a little little stabbing motion at the end there from Jerry keep up the good work guys regards thanks very much Jerry secondcaptain at irishtimes.com is the email address yes again Mr. Gilbert is indeed the school headmaster played by stand-up comedian Greg Davies very tall man Saw mm. him live once. Uh, extremely, extremely tall man. Good. Uh, yeah, here's a testy exchange he has with Murph's favourite in-betweener, Will. Does the older gentleman in this clip sound like Ken here? Thanks, Phil. Now... Sorry. Thanks for that, Phil. Phil? Oh, 
It's just because the dance is outside of school time, so I assumed... Well, you assumed wrong, Will. Very wrong. Sorry. Right, then. Um... Say my name properly. Mr Gilbert. Say thank you. Thank you. Say thank you, Mr Gilbert. Thank you, Mr Gilbert. Better. <laughs> a little, Better. yeah. A little. At first I thought, no, but the more sinister he sounded, actually. Yeah. I don't know, I didn't realise Ken had a sinister tone angry of voice. Angry Ken it, sounds a bit like uh, angry Mr Gilbert. Angry Mr Gilbert, yeah. You, you don't think so? Nobody ever thinks they sound or look like anyone else. It's hard to know, yeah. yeah it is kind of it's hard, hard to know what your voice sounds like. Sergio Aguero, you wanted to mention Sergio before we go? Uh, Pearl Sergio's having a mare. Oh. Um, misses a penalty for Argentina, who lose to Paraguay at home. Not good. Uh, <laughs> sorry, am I starting sounding like Donald Trump? <laughs> sorry. Wrong. No, I just listened to too much of him. Um, so what happens? Yeah, you remember there was that photo of, of the Argentina players all sitting in the dressing room after some game, and they were all just looking at their phones. There was like a whole row of them sitting in, on this bench kind of with their feet out in front of them and just uh, looking at their phones, just totally immersed in that world. Um, well, I mean, I don't really understand what's happening exactly with Aguero in Argentina because he's been he's been absolutely red hot for Manchester City. Um, like 11 goals in six games, I think it is, so far this season. For Argentina, he's been appalling and like the commentator was abusing him you know he missed his penalty and they was, was screaming for the commentator why don't you just go why don't you just leave Aguero leave enough already enough and you're like what this is one of the best strikers in the world like how come he's getting this abuse but he's just playing he's playing badly for them one difference between the setup at Argentina and at Manchester City uh, City playing Everton uh, this weekend on Saturday Guardiola against Koeman is an old uh, Barcelona um, connection, but uh, is the uh, Wi-Fi? Pep Guardiola has completely taken away all connectivity from the city trading ground. He's sickened by the way that he's obviously a pre-internet guy. Pep, uh, when what age was Pep when he heard about the internet? Twenty-four, twenty-five. You know, he got to that point in life without even having a mobile phone. So he just can't understand it when he sees guys doing this. Uh, as Aguero explained, uh, it seems that one time he entered the massage rooms, he saw one of my teammates, I don't know who it was, relaxing with his phone. And I don't know, maybe he didn't like that. From then on, he cut the internet. I didn't know anything about it. What happened? What happened? We don't have the internet here, I said. In the dressing room where everything is closed off, there's no single signal. Therefore, one can only use the Wi-Fi. I said, is the Wi-Fi broken? What happened? Uh, in this place, I'm preparing the orange juice. The teammates were asking if the internet was working. I think it's broken, I said. I thought they were messing with me. <laughs> but it was right. He had cut the internet. In the changing room, massage room, and pool, we don't have the internet. Upstairs, there is a little bit of 3G. <laughs> why, why do we need it in the pool anyway? But, uh, but Guardiola obviously thinks this is important. Um, what does he want players to do? Talk to each other? Talk to each other like... They're all just sitting there looking at each other now going, what? They're all just headphones. headphones. There's a lot. It's, they can say a lot more to each other online than they can person to person. It's just a simple bandwidth thing. It's like if I'm talking to you, Owen... Mm -hmm. As you are. What I can say to you is dictated by the words that come out of my mouth that go into your ears. You know? Yeah, a lot of them going into the moment. 
Whereas if I was to, you know, go to, you know, www.twitter.com, mm-hmm. I could, uh, you know, in, with this, in the same number of words, reach so many more eyes and minds uh, than I can just by sitting here wasting my time talking to you. This is what Pep Guardiola doesn't understand. Those Man City players just want to communicate with themselves, with each other and with the world. And I don't think that they should be stopped from doing that. That's it for this Irish Times Second Captain's football podcast. We've got a big interview with one of the biggest names ever in Irish rugby. Always an impressive guy talking about his sport. Donald Lennon in studio in our other podcast today. Looking forward to that. Uh, Murph, thank you. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Owen. Ken, thanks very much. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you very soon. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys.